Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. He came in, I said, you don't need a mic. He goes, no, I want a mic, I want it louder. That's the way some, some preach, and I praise the Lord for that. Anyways, um, if you don't mind, I want to pray because uh, we're going to approach the throne room of God, okay? And I want to be able to come to you with a message that will help. So, Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, allowing us to come before the throne room, and that's why I'm on my knee today, Lord. I'm bowing before the King of kings and Lord of lords, our faithful creator. We're going to see a glimpse of you today, Lord, that... Uh, you've given us in the Word of God, and I trust that it'll help us, Lord. It'll just help us see you and all of your majesty. But we also want to know who you are, what you do, so Lord, please touch our hearts today in a way that will change us, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation 4, please. Turn to Revelation 4. We'll probably be going to Revelation, you know, in these days ahead quite a bit. Um, just popping in and out of it because of so much that's going on prophetically right now in the world. And I want to be able to keep us in touch with what is happening. Uh, I won't be doing going through Revelation. I, I've done that before. We'll do it here at some point. But I will be touching in and out of it because I think it's important for us to see a lot of things that are going on. But the first thing I want you to see this morning is Jesus in all of his glory. Um, because if I, start, if I begin to preach, and I, I'm going to preach, I preach on heaven, I preach on hell, I'm going to preach some message on hell. You're going to hear here shortly and because uh, we need a healthy fear of that. Uh, but uh, in order to do that and to be um, sufficient at that, I believe we first need to picture Christ on his throne. We need to see him in all of his glory and all of his majesty. It helps us, actually, uh, knowing that, that one day that's where we're going to be. We're going to be standing before him, kneeling before him. So in Revelation 4, I am out of respect for God in this particular passage. I'm going to ask you all to stand if you can. And I didn't ask the guys to read it before because I, be, I want to read it myself, actually, as I preach it. John's an amazing disciple, amazing. Uh, that he called himself God's love, um, the one who Jesus loved. He gave, God gave him some revelations that, uh, of things that no man has ever seen. This is one of them. Right? After this I looked and beheld, a door was opened in heaven, and his, the first voice which I heard was that were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Immediately, and immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow, which we're going to talk about, about round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of the, 
of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass, like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, the second beast was like a calf, and the third beast had a face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, say it with me, everybody, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Thank you again, Lord, for your word. Bless our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. John has always been my favorite disciple in the Bible. It's one that I read often uh, um, because all the book John was in all the books written about John. It was all more. He was all more concerned about knowing who Jesus was uh, and why he came than he was about uh, how he came and who he came through. That's why you don't have uh, the record of the birth and all that stuff in there. He was just wanting people to know who he was, right, and why he came. And, and I believe John has been, has been given supernaturally more insight than, uh, uh, to the things of God than any other man who has ever lived. I really believe that with all my heart. He was, every, he was at every major event of Jesus Christ, including here where he, had given, he was given a vision of the throne room of God in Christ in all of his glory. But think about John. He was at everything. Everything Jesus did, he was there. He witnessed it. Uh, and then he said, that the, if you were to write about all the things, he said, the Bible couldn't even contain the books, really, all, of all the things that were written about Jesus. So unlike any other man has ever been given, including Paul and Daniel and Israel's uh, the, uh, patriarch uh, Moses, he was given a vision of the throne room. And so while on the island of Patmos, John was given a divine revelation of Jesus Christ in heaven, a door was opened to him in heaven. And the first sight... Right, he sees is Jesus. Isn't that going to be a glorious day? When you take your last breath and your next breath, the first sight you're going to see is Jesus. I'm looking forward to that day. He sees Jesus glorified in the throne with all of his majesty and all of his splendor. And then the first voice he hears is Jesus. I like that too. His voice, as it were, of a trumpet talking with him. So the Lord's voice was a loud, it was a clear, it was a resounding sound as he commanded, Come up hither. Right? Or come up here, John. I want you to see some things. And can you imagine what this might have felt like for John? <laughs> I know he was just in the spirit, right? Uh, but listen, the eternal king of heaven says to you, approach the throne. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I'd be excited if... Uh, uh, well, I don't want to say that. Anyways, because uh, I'm not real fond of our president right now. But get ready because that day is coming. He's going to say, come up hither. Approach the throne, and I pray you're ready. And for many, uh, this won't be a good day. When, when they enter into heaven, they'll see him, but they'll be cast away from him. So I remember watching a little boy uh, in, during Tr President Trump's uh, uh, presidency who wanted to just meet President Trump in order to give him a hug. Do you remember that little boy? He was in the crowd, and he had told somebody, I would just like to hug him. And, and, and Trump did the unthinkable. Uh, he found out somehow, and he called that little boy up to the front of all those people at that rally. He said, come up here. Makes me think of this, right? And that little boy went over and he hugged him, and, the, and, he, and this little boy hugged the President of the United States. It was a good day for that little boy. 
And I want to tell you something. It's going to be a good day for you if you know Jesus Christ when you get that divine hug from your Savior. So one of my favorite thoughts is the day I approach Jesus, right? And I reach out to give him a hug, but instead he gets me first and just pulls me to himself and he embraces me. Uh, my beloved is mine and I am his. He feedeth among the lilies. That's my favorite verse in the Bible. But it won't be a good day for many who've chosen to neglect Christ, who've chosen not to believe on him. Uh, because they'll see him, but they won't hear uh, words that they'll want to hear. Uh, away with them, I never knew you. So our Lord then informs John, I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So from this point forward, the focus of the book of Revelation is the hereafter, right? Prior to this chapter, it was about the here and now. In the first three chapters, John, or Jesus gives John seven messages for the seven churches. Uh, but now John sees into the future, his own, by the way, and ours, and we too can see it. So, and immediately John said, I was in the Spirit, behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on that throne. So I want you to catch a vision of this, because in the first, in the first three chapters of Revelation, John was spoken to while he was here on earth, but here in chapter 4, he's in the Spirit, he was transported into heaven, and he uh, saw and heard what was to come. Um, pretty awesome, huh? The first thing he saw was Jesus on, as God on his throne. And this might be a hint at what every believer will see first when they arrive in glory. Oh, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And then notice in verse 3, he that sat was like to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow Round about the throne, it says, uh, like unto an emerald. Now, that's interesting to me. John recorded one of the best visions anyone could ever have of Jesus in all of his splendor, in all of his glory and majesty. He painted a majestic picture, uh, one uh, of the splendor his eyes had beheld. He said that he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a starden stone. So John likened the vision of God on his throne to uh, these two stones. And and though there's no definite description anywhere of a jasper stone, generally there were thought to, they were thought to be transparent uh, gemstones ranging from purple to blue to green. Now what does this have all to do with it? Well, it's important because it's in the Bible, amen? If it's in the Bible, it's important, and we need to know why. The Sardin stone, the Sardin stone was also transparent, but was, which was blood red in color. It's clear here that Jesus stands out like none other. That's what it's meaning. So, in fact, the entire throne room revolves around him. Everything in all of history revolves around him. In all the universe re revolves around him. He is the centerpiece and the masterpiece of heaven and of all eternity. So, arching over and above his throne was a rainbow like unto an emerald. Now, this is hard for me to comprehend, but there was a rainbow or a halo effect over him that evidently was greenish. Right? It had a green uh, hue to it. Now, what I believe is being illustrated here is with all of these transparent stones is in heaven we get the full transparency of God and who he is and Jesus himself. I believe it's illustrative, really, is what's going on here. This is what Isaiah and Paul referred to in Isaiah 45.23 and Romans 14.1. In Isaiah 45, look unto me and, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. 
And Romans 14, 11 says this, We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So here we are. We're at the throne room, and Jesus as God was now completely and thoroughly visible to the human eye as the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Here he was. And we get a little glimpse of it through his word. He is, he was, always will be God. It was now obvious and open to, uh, for everybody to see. Nothing was disguised, hidden or concealed. I can't wait for that day. Because there are certain, certain things we are not allowed to see yet until we get there. And by the way, don't get caught up in all these people that say they went there and came back. This is what it's like. Because I, I got a whole message on that, why that's not true. And I can show you from scripture why that's not true. But it was now obvious and open for all to see. Nothing was disguised. It was crystal clear to John with full transparency. Jesus reveals who he is and he is the God of heaven. Amazing, right? That's all by way of introduction. Elohim, God. El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty. El Ayan, the Most High God. El Alam, the Everlasting God. The Almighty God, the Great I Am. Here he was, Jesus. And here Jesus sat revealing with breathtaking royalty and regal splendor his eternal preeminence and presence. For by him were all things created that are in the heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. It must have been an awesome sight on that day. John must have had all he could do just to breathe, let alone keep himself from collapsing to his knees when he finally sees Jesus. Now I want you to know that we've lost a lot of people before us that we love that know, knew Jesus Christ. That's what they experienced. So you can be comforted in that and knowing that it was a great day. So John continued to describe the other seats of the thrones which were situated apparently in, in kind of a semicircular fashion which is kind of conducive to anything in Israel. If you go over there, all the amphitheaters are all like semicircles and they're amazing. It's, I think it's just fashioned after what we believe will be in heaven. Seems like it was like the old amphitheaters, like the ones found in Caesarea Philippi or, or uh, uh, Caesarea Maritime under King Herod's rule in Israel. And Pat and I actually sat in one of them. Uh, I actually sat in one of them just a few weeks, a few months ago as uh, um, a, a pastor and his wife uh, sang Amazing Grace down at the base of it. And I was up at the top and there was an amazing sound that came out of it. So going back to verse 3, it reads, And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. Now John says it was a sight to see. A true emerald is a sight to see. Has anybody ever seen a true emerald? I have. It's, it's really something to look at. Uh, what was Jesus showing him, and what is he showing to us? Well, in the 16th century, Cortez brought back many emeralds from Spain, from Latin America. And one of the Cortez's most notable ones, uh, it was engraved on it, right? Among those born of a woman, there hath not arisen a greater. Now, of course, who was he referring to? He was referring to John the Baptist in Matthew 11:11. 11, 11. Among all the emeralds, this one was the greatest. John the Baptist was a great man, 
But I think it's making a reference here to the greater truth is there's, there's one greater than John. Right? There's just one greater than John. And he is the one who John came to reveal and the one who will one day be revealed to all of mankind. So the one greater than John is greater than anyone or anything you have ever seen, you have ever heard of on planet Earth. In other words, standing before John is the most precious, priceless emerald of heaven. And that's what I have called this message, the emerald of heaven. And I want you to see this emerald. And when I thought of Jesus being the emerald of heaven, I thought of what it must have looked like to John with an with a halo that way over Jesus' head. A halo is that misty or foggy disc, circle-like manner uh, of light that you see surrounding around or above the object of the person, sort of like you see what they envision like as angels. It's the proverbial ring we put above an angel to present his holiness. So that represented holiness. And the only halos I've ever experienced, though the halos around the headlights on oncoming cars, uh, before I got my uh, cataracts fixed. But if you've got, had cataracts, you know what it is. You look at that light and there's just like this burst around it. Hard to see, but can you imagine Jesus being in the middle of that burst? So here's what I want to preach on for the next few minutes and we're done. The emerald halo, the, the emerald halo associated with Jesus made me think of some things. And I want to give you what they made me think of. And I wrote down 10 halo markers that to me represent Jesus and all of his appeal and all of his splendor. So this is not quite a, an expository message. This is a message from my own heart, right, that I really want you to hear because I think it's important for us to see Jesus in all he is, in all that he is, right? So he is our eternal emerald of heaven, which one day we who believe will all see in full transparency. So what did this say to me? Well, number one is this, right? He is the most triumphant of all powers. He's just the most triumphant of all powers. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, it says in Daniel 4.35. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? No one can look at him and say, What are you doing, Lord? Now we do that, don't we, sometimes? But he knows what he's doing and nobody can stay his hand. There's no one that can stop him. There's nothing and no one more powerful than him. He is immutable. He's imperishable and an indestructible God. Uh, he is our God. By this I know that thou favorest me. Why? Because my enemy doth not triumph over me. Right? Psalm 41.11 uh, Psalm 92.4 says, For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. And I will triumph in the work of thy hands. So when you have Jesus, Jesus has you. And this is the cool thing about it, is you are favored. You're a favored child. No enemy that comes against you will win against you. Do you understand all that? Nobody that comes against this church is going to win. Right? He is going to win. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Whenever evil is meant against you, God will make good out of it in order for you to triumph for Him. And that's who we are. We are conquerors. Right? Now, thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.14 So He is, listen, He is the, the most triumphant 
of all powers, and we can see that on his throne. Secondly, is he is the most transcendent of all paramounts. You know, just turn, you're in Revelation, just turn ahead to Revelation 19 for a minute. In Revelation 19.11, look what it says here. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were like as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a, with a vesture dripped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That's us, by the way. I hope you, I hope you like riding horses. Anybody not like riding horses? You're going to be riding horses when you get into heaven. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the, fear, uh, of, of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no one higher than him. There's no one better than him. There's no one greater than him or more faithful than him or more holier than him. He is the paramount to our salvation. So he is the highest of all the honorable. He is the king of all the kings. He is the Lord over all the lords. He is the faithful, the true one, the authentic, uh, authentic one. So the halo reminds us we serve the greatest of all the greats of all the time, of all time. He is the most predominant of all dominants. He is king over all of his creation. He is the most preeminent of all preeminence. He's the alpha, the omega. He is the first priority in all things. He is the most paramount of all paramount. In other words, the kingdom shall never end. His kingdom shall never end and can never be overthrown. That's the kingdom all of us are going to be in one day. That's where we're all going to be living. And thirdly, he is the most tenderest of all plants. Have you ever thought of that? I love this thought. He is the most tenderest of all plants. How can you be the most powerful but the most tenderest? That's our God. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, it says in Isaiah 53, 2. And as a rod out of dry ground, he has no form of comingness, and we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. Listen, he had no earthly comeliness, but he was the loveliest lily of the valley. He, was, he has no earthly beauty, but he is the vivid rose of Sharon. He has all power, but he is also the tenderest of all plants. Do you know that that halo reminds me that he is a sinner's friend? He's the sinner's friend. He is the one that anoints my head with oil. He's my everlasting kindness. He is the great physician of heaven, the healer of all nations and all people. He healeth the broken in heart. He bindeth up their wounds. Psalm 147, verse 3. Are you liking this? I mean, just hearing about him? Yeah, he's the one who really cares when no one else cares. He is the one who comes to you with healing in his wings when no one else has the healing power. He is the one who is truly concerned about you as a tender compassion, with tender compassion on your weaknesses. That's our God. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. Psalm 
36.7. James 5.11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. We have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Luke 1.78. Through the tender mercy of our God whereby the day spring round high has visited us. He came from heaven for us. He is the most tenderest of all plants. Amazing, isn't it? And why don't people trust on him? For he is the most treasured of all pearls. Matthew 13, 45 through 46, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking good, goodly pearls, who when he hath found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. One second with Jesus is better than an eternity without him. Just one second. Just one glimpse is better than anything you've ever seen in your whole life. More beautiful. When you find Jesus, you find the most precious and the most perfect of all jewels. He is illustrious. It's priceless. A beautiful gem. You never want anything else again once you have him. He's my shepherd, I shall not want. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. These are verses that jump off the page to the believer. He gives me everything according to his riches in heaven. Once I am, have him, I'm the richest man on planet earth. How many of you, by the raise hands, I'm the richest person on planet earth right now? You better raise it up if you know Jesus Christ, because you are. You're rich. Five, he's the most touched of all passions. Isn't it amazing we have a Savior that's touched by our infirmities and our weaknesses? For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. You understand he feels your pain. He feels all of our pains and knows all of our weaknesses. He sees all of our sufferings and feels all of our sorrows. He grieves with us when we grieve. He mourns with us when we mourn. He is the one who tells us to rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep in Romans 12, 15. You know, when he saw those weeping over Lazarus, and I think about that a lot, he was troubled. And then himself began to weep. You know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, it says in Luke 4.18, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. My friends, Jesus Christ feels you. He feels your heart and your pain. He knows exactly what hurts and how it hurts. But thou, o Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, long plenteous in mercy and truth. Psalm 86, 15. Lamentation 3, 22 through 23. I, I call this the paramount verse in the Bible. Listen, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions, they fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I have a hard time even saying these things without welling up in my eyes with tears. 
This is the God that we serve, an amazing Lord and Savior who came to redeem the earth from the curse. Number six is this. He, has, he is the most trustworthy of all promises. Uh, trust in the Lord. In fact, if you know it, say it with me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, right? And he shall direct thy path. I don't know what path you're on today. But if it's not the path Jesus wants you on, don't trust it. He's a lamp for your feet and a light for your path. Psalm 119, 105. He is the one who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters so they don't overtake you and drown you. Isaiah 43, 16. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom, it says in Proverbs 4, 11. I have led thee in right paths. Do you know that Jesus is never going to steer you wrong? He will not leave thee or forsake thee, but it's much easier for him to do so when we stay on that path he has us on. I'm saddened to watch people who have been born again get on a different path and end up way away from the Savior that loved them and gave himself for them. He shows you the path of life where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Psalm 11. 2 Peter 1.4, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through love. Wow, these are all things that just came and just poured into my heart and overflows out of my heart, right? Number seven, he is the most timely of all purposes. I don't know about you, but I've watched him hundreds of times be right on time. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Ecclesiastes 3.1 He makes everything perfect in his time according to his own purposes. Uh, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he has set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. He is perfect. And therefore his timing is perfect. He's never late. He is always on time. And that hail reminds me he came for me right on time. One of the things I have struggled with, I've always struggled with, is why didn't I give my life to him earlier? Right? But he didn't give up on me. He came right on time. You might say prime time. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be of forever. Nothing can be put to it, nothing can be taken from it, and God doeth it that men should fear before him. Ecclesiastes 3.14. I love Galatians 4.4, that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. There may be someone here that's unsaved. You're here because the timing is perfect. He wants you saved. And at least you're going to hear the gospel here. You can leave without him, but you can leave with him. Number eight, he's the, talented of all, he's the most talented of all pundits. Do you know what pundits mean? A pundit is an expert in his field. 
You might say Joe Adamkowski is a pundit of raising houses. Or Travis is a pundit on how to landscape lawns. Or Betty's a pundit of how to play an organ, right? It's amazing, isn't it? Isaiah 40, 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He knows everything. He can do anything. He's smarter than anyone. Everything he does, now think about this, he does perfectly and thoroughly. He is the best you can get. There is no one more wise than him. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Psalm 147.5 These are the words that God put into the Bible for us to read about himself. In other words, he can do anything he wants to because he knows everything that needs to be done. Everything that needs to be done, he can do and do it right. He is fully omniscient. He knows all things, flawlessly proficient. He can achieve all things, and he is faithfully sufficient. You don't need anybody else. As long as you got Jesus, you got everything. 1 John 3.20 says, For if thou heart condemnest, God's greater than our heart even. In Job 12.13, With him is wisdom and strength. He hath counsel and understanding. Wow. And think of a world out there, most of it without the Bible. Don't want anything to do with the Bible. Don't want anything to do with learning about Jesus Christ. They're listening to scientists. They're listening to professors. They're listening to... Everybody out there is supposed to be the expert or the pundits in their trade. He is the one who wrote, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. 2 Corinthians 3.5 God is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Here's number nine. We're almost through. He is the most truthful of all preachers. I love preaching. And mostly it's because I'm talking about Jesus. And that's why I love this message so much, because it's all about Jesus. And I love preaching. But sometimes I want to tell you, the flesh can get involved. I can get up there and start hooting and hollering about things that are going wrong in the world because I'm angry with what's going on in the world. But do you realize that when Jesus preaches, it's always right? The words are always perfect. Luke 4 18, 19, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember, I just quoted that because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. In other words, he's always honest. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant know not what his Lord doeth. And John 15, but I called you friends for all things that I've heard of my Father, I've made known unto you. He removes the cloaks that hide our secret sins so we can see them and repent of them and return to him. For there is nothing concealed that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in the light, and what you hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. He is, he is just the most honest or most truthful of all preachers. Anything you see in red is perfect. But can I just say something else? He wrote the whole Bible. My Bible, there's no red words in it. It's all, it's all the same. Because he's the one that wrote it. He's the one that knows. He's the one that's going to be truthful with me in all things. 
That's our God. And lastly, and we close, he is the most thoughtful of all people. You know there's three persons in the Godhead? And Jesus came down and became uh, God in skin. He became a person. And he is the most thoughtful of all people. Can I end this message with this? With this? No one cares for you like Jesus. No one. I would like to think that I'm caring for you as your pastor like Jesus has asked me to do, but can I just tell you I fail miserably. He never fails. Casting all your care upon him, he cares for you. He hung on that cross as a man. He hung on that cross in your place. As he hung on that old cross, suffering for the sins of the world, he was thinking about you personally. All because he cared about you so deeply. Do you understand that? The same person we're looking at on the throne here to start this message is the same person that was hanging on that cross for you. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, right? And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who was the joy that was set before him? You know, Isaiah tells us 700 years before he came that he came for you and he came for me. You're the joy that was set before him. That, think about this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. That whosoever in that verse, and this is redundant, I understand, but it needs to be said over and over again, that whosoever is you, if you will just believe. You know, during COVID, uh, I had long COVID, and I struggled with it for a long time. And I, I, wrote, I wrote a lot of stuff during that time, and I tried to spend my, make, valuable, make as much value out of the time that I had. Honestly, I thought I was dying at one point, and I remember putting my house in order, and I, and I told my wife, I said, uh, I just want to know, I love you, and I think I'm on my way out. I haven't had the money to print it, but I, I did a track called You Are So Loved. I now have the money to print it, uh, but now I've got to go back and finish it. But it clearly tells you nobody has ever loved you like he has loved you. No one. Nor will there ever be anybody who will love you like he has loved you. I love my wife more than I can even put in words but it's only a drop in the bucket compared to the love Christ has for you. The whosoever in John 3.16 is where we all start because of whosoever is you that he couldn't bear to depart from. You are the one God gave his life for. And there is a God who hates your sin, but he is rich in mercy and loves you for far more than you could ever love him paid your debt, the debt that you could not pay, something only Jesus could do. So he, could, so he came and died in your place to give you his love and a new life to you so that when you read that verse, these verses in Revelation 4, they mean something, don't they? You look at that and you see him, who he is that you put your trust into.
He is the one and only emerald of heaven who wants to shine in your heart. He wants to take over your life. He wants to give you everything he has. So if you're unsaved today, here's the way to be saved. Honestly, it's so simple. Just admit you're a sinner and can do nothing to save yourself. Nothing. You need to turn to Jesus, the only one who can save you, the only God of heaven who gave himself for you to, so you could escape hell and so he could bring himself, bring him, yourself to him. And then secondly, just believe in Jesus, what he said. That's all. Just receive the gift of eternal life he offers to you to escape God's wrath and escape the sin's penalty and live both now and forever with him. Do you know that heaven begins the moment you trust on him? That's the moment it begins. In fact, you get, when you, anybody that's unsaved that reads in Revelation, and, and unfortunately this happens all the time, they're unsaved, but I'm going to read in Revelation what's going to happen. They can't get it. They can't get one iota of what it all means until you know Jesus Christ. So there's no sense in taking them there. They first got to know Jesus. And if you're unsaved, you first have to know Jesus. And then lastly, just call out to Jesus right now and say yes to him. That's all. Just accept him and his gift to save you from your sin. In other words, just give up the fight. Stop fighting him. Just surrender. Tell him you want him to take over. That's all it is. Just saying, yes, Lord. I know you're my Savior. And yes, Lord, I, I have sinned against you, but I'm willing right now to call upon you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So call upon him. If you're saved or unsaved, listen, call upon him if you're unsaved and get saved. And if you're saved, call upon him and see him in all of his splendor. How he'll just reach right down into your life from heaven and turn things around for you. You could say something like this, Lord Jesus, I'm turning to you and away from my sin according to your offer. I'm, I'm taking it. I'm giving myself to you, Jesus. I receive you. I receive your gift. I, I want to live the rest of my life for you. So the least I can do right now, what little faith I have, is just give my life to you and love you with whatever I have left and, sh and just show you how grateful I am that you came to save me. Amen? We got a picture of Jesus today. Isn't that amazing? And you got it in your hands. I would assume you all have a Bible in your hands. If you don't, you better get one in your hands or I'll be after you. You know, and I'm not one for these electronic things either. Because the old Bible is called a book. I just think you need something that you can read and that you can open up and put a bookmark in and then highlight it and mark it and see all, all the things that Jesus does for you. It's almost like a living journal, isn't it? I can look back and see things that happened back in 1987 in my Bible because I've made an effort to write down everything that he has done, mark everything where he's talked to me. You can't do that with your phone. You can't do that with an iPad. Right? And then I take this book with me to bed every night, and I wake up with it every morning. He is the emerald of heaven. And he loves you all very much. Let's close. Let's bow our heads. I am excited to be your pastor. 
but I'm way more excited to be a minister of Jesus Christ. And to be able to share with you what you can find out for yourself just by simply reading the scriptures. But he did say to give you pastors that give you wisdom according, you know, give you understanding. And I understand that. And I don't want to fail them in that at all. I want them to help all of us. And if I can do anything in that process, uh, I'm grateful for it. So by the heads bowed and, and a raised hand, is there anybody here today that would say, I just trusted Christ as my Savior? And amen, amen. And then secondly is this. By the raised hand, who would say today I got a glimpse of Jesus that I needed, that I needed? Amen, amen, and amen. Father, thank you. Hands up all over the place. Not that they had to do that, Lord, but it was just an open confession that you would see it, and we're thankful for it. Bless these people, Lord, in this church. Bless us, Lord, as we continue to reveal you to the world, bringing good to evil, and then watch them overcome it by believing on you as their Savior. So I'm going to turn it over to Mike now, Lord. But really what I'm doing is turning it over to you. Touch these souls, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.